0: And from the context of the wider passage in Isaiah 56, we have to understand this to mean that it was never God's purpose to gather and pursue only the people of Israel to himself. Do you see that? Here we see the great gatherer of the outcast turning his attention from Israel, his chosen nation, whom he has gathered, to others, to others. And God will reap a harvest from beyond the boundaries of just Israel. And the stated promise here is that God will gather other outcasts, outcasts who don't belong to the nation of Israel. And it says that God will gather these others to him. Again, the language is strange, a strange phrase. Why not say me? I will gather yet others to me. Why say him? I was telling the guys in our men's group this week on Wednesday night uh, that I'm reading this book for seminary right now and I hate it, okay? I love reading, I've read a lot of great books for seminary Uh, most of them I would be happy to recommend to you. But this one, I just want to use it to like start a, a bonfire in my backyard. It's terrible. It's written by this smug intellectual from Oxford University who, while claiming to be a Christian, writes the whole book to undermine the authenticity, the authority, and the reliability of the Bible. Bizarre. And he does a really poor job, okay? Uh... You know, I'm being forced to read it to get an understanding of liberal Christianity, which is not at all related to liberal politics, okay? Liberal Christianity is that part of Christianity that denies what we have traditionally believed as Christians, so denies the authority of the Bible, denies the resurrection of Jesus, the deity of Christ, those types of things. And this guy suggests in this book, he says, there is no overarching theme to the Bible, And that if we read it as such, we do scripture disservice. If he were here for our epic service, he would come up after today and he would tell me that I'm wrong because the Bible is just 66 different books that sort of happen to be compiled together that are totally unrelated. We shouldn't see them as a whole. And he would say that the Old Testament in no way points to Jesus Christ. You can't read it that way. He'd say there's no prophecy in the Old Testament that you can use to talk about the coming of Christ that for sure applies to Jesus. I see some of you nodding or shaking your heads. Good, I'm glad Then I've sort of done my job over the last nine months, okay? And if he were here, I would say he is a fool. Even though he's an Oxford scholar, he has way more paper than I do. But after all we've been through over the last nine months, isn't it impossible to agree with him that we can't see Jesus in the pages of the Old Testament at all? Haven't we seen dozens of these references already? And look at verse 8. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Okay, I'm not an Oxford educated elite, but I can tell you with great confidence that this verse must certainly point to Jesus, to the cross. God has ordained to gather his people so that they might be deposited at the feet of Christ, covered in his blood. Jesus, the one who was crucified and resurrected for their salvation and resurrection. And a great harvest is underway in the world. And it's being done in the name of Jesus. In John chapter 12, verses 32 through 33, Jesus says this, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die, John 12 tells us. And now that we have the New Testament, now that we know that Jesus is the Messiah, I think the only way that we can really read the Old Testament, the only way that we can really understand a passage like Isaiah 56 is through the lens of the message of the New Testament. So in the light of the words of Jesus about his work on the cross in John, we can say that the hymn in Isaiah 56 chapter 8, to whom God will gather these others, this hymn, it must be Christ. And through the cross, God is gathering his people to worship at the feet of Jesus. And it's harvest time right now. Okay, but... I only complicated things by throwing in the quote of Jesus about being lifted up because does Jesus imply that every person in the world will be gathered to him through his death on the cross when he says in John 12, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Is Jesus saying that salvation belongs to every single person? What's the point of having the church? What's the point of the crucifixion if it passes to all people whether they receive it or not? No, absolutely not. That's not what he's saying. If we understand his words in light of Isaiah 56, we see the words of Jesus. We see in those words God's great purpose to gather from humankind a people for his namesake, not just from the Jews, Those already gathered in Isaiah 56 would be the people of Israel. But now, through the cross of Christ, we see God doing a different thing, a new thing, a greater thing. And it was always his purpose and his plan from the very beginning to gather his people from the very ends of the earth, from all parts of his creation. But here in Isaiah 56, we see it explicitly stated God is gathering his outcast people from wherever he has placed them. And if you have been drawn to the foot of the cross, then it's because God plucked you out of your circumstances. He chose you from among the nations to know the grace and the mercy of his son, Jesus Christ. And what a marvelous and overwhelming mystery that is. Sometimes I sit and I think, literally, I sit and I think, God, why in the world did you choose me? And I'd like to come to the answer that, well, Grady, it's because you did this and this, and you said this, and you are this. But no, 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 no. Because in the mystery of his love and grace, he gathered me. And though I didn't earn it, though you didn't earn it, though you didn't deserve it, though we didn't deserve it, though we didn't even desire it, from the very beginning of time God's heart was to choose you and gather you from the clutches of sin and deposit you at the feet of Jesus crucified and resurrected for your salvation. Now, permit me for a minute here to dwell on the mystery of God's great and gracious gathering. His power to harvest, which is a mystery, okay? Because maybe some of you dislike the idea. I didn't notice it visibly from up here, but sometimes when you talk like this, people can begin to squirm in their seats because they dislike the idea of me saying, God intended to gather you before you even desired to be gathered. And so let me try and persuade you with the overwhelming grace of our God who not only foreknows our decision that we will come to him, but so wooed us through our lifetime to bring us into his embrace in exactly the way that he intended to do from before the foundations of the world. If we go back to my paltry illustration of the apple orchard, where I was gathering apples as a child, who gathers the apples you know, do the apples come into my basket by their own accord? Does any apple have the power to jump into the basket that I brought to pluck the apples into? Or is each and every apple chosen perfectly selected because the gatherer has chosen it and gives it value and has a purpose for it? Do the apples jump on the ground to catch the attention of the gatherer? Pick me, pick me, like little kids in preschool. Do they roll down the the grassy aisles of the orchard in pursuit of the one whose decision it is to choose them, bumping among the heels of that individual to grab attention so that they can be saved from the slow demise of rotting on the orchard floor? Or does the gatherer simply choose them for their purposes? in an effort to turn your hearts to worship in God and wonder this morning, I want to tell you, it was God who chose us as foreigners to be among his people. God who chose us while we were outcasts to belong to him. Romans 5 tells us that we were enemies with God. We had our will set against him before we were redeemed by God to be counted among his harvest. Okay, now, I'm terrible at explaining this stuff, so I'm going to turn to Charles Spurgeon, who, honestly, if I really had my way, I would just get up here every Sunday and read his sermons because he's way better than I am, but he's a little hard to understand. So I put this in your handout for you to read along. I should have mentioned that it was by Charles Spurgeon, forgive me. So hopefully you have this in there, and you can slide up next to somebody and follow along as I read this, okay? Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. He says, God has a way and an art. Without violating the free agency of man, he, of nevertheless accomplishing the purposes of his grace without hindrance. He says, yet I will gather as if he knew himself to be the master of the situation and able to affect his resolve. Perhaps some have even said in defiance, I will not come. Have you heard of the one who said, I will not, but afterwards repented and went? Grace can turn you in the same manner and make you act as you never dreamed of doing. Does this annoy you? Do you put your teeth together and say, no, I will never alter. I will never be a religious man. I advise you to be less obstinate for you know not how soon you will yield and find yourself weeping over those hard speeches. Were you never subdued by human love? Did your mother never conquer you, young man, not with a threat, but just with a look and a tear? Did your wife never vanquish you in the same fashion? You were a free agent, but yet you were a complete captive and you could not help yourself. If my master and Lord is but seen by you in all his love and loveliness, adorned not only with his tears of pity, but with his wounds, Which, with which in love he redeemed mankind, I guarantee you your obstinacy will find itself dissolved. Oh, if you knew him, would to God, he would manifest himself to you now and you would say, I yield by mighty love subdued, who can resist its charms? And this is why the Lord talks so positively, because he knows his own power and means to put it forth. Yet will I gather others unto him. So shall it be with you, dear hearer, with your full consent. Against your own wicked will, the Lord will lead you to Jesus, and there shall you be found, rejoicing to be united to him and to his people. And so, regardless, of how God does it, we rejoice that God chose us, his people. Yeah, we were free to pursue all kinds of worldliness, like our video mentioned, looking for ways to satiate the hunger in our hearts. But God, in his sovereignty, is more free to pursue us than we are to pursue worldliness. And he is relentless in his pursuit. He who gathers even hard-hearted, obstinate, disobedient Israel, who again and again and again and again turn their backs on God. With power and love and joy and grace, he pursues and loves and gathers even us into his harvest. And God plucks and places us before him Him, Jesus, our Savior, so that our hard hearts might be broken with love for Christ, who first loved us. And what a beautiful mystery it is to reflect on the grace and the love of Jesus, the sovereignty of our awesome Lord. And while we were enemies of God in our sin, he died for us, he loved us, and he gathered us up. He wooed us with his wounds to win our affection. Now, I've pointed out the joy of our salvation in Christ, and that's the point, the joy of our salvation in Christ. But I want a few more minutes of your time to show you one more thing. Who is gathering? God is gathering, right? He is Lord of the harvest. But how does God choose to do his gathering? And here we find another mystery that is simply beyond fully understanding. God wants to use you to gather these others in. How incredible is that? The world is literally starving to death in sin. And God has gathered you in and fed you full with the bread of life, Jesus. And now that you're full, he's placed a loaf of bread in your hands and said to you, go. Go, go and feed the starving, go and feed my sheep. Go and take this food that is nourishing to the heart and the soul and go to my people whom I have not yet gathered and find them. Matthew chapter 9, Matthew 28, Luke 10, John 4, I can name more and more and more references where God paints the picture for us to go and feed those who he has not yet gathered who are hungry And so go out and find the outcasts and feed them with the truth of grace and love in Jesus Christ. Go to the pagans. Go to the Muslims. Go to the gays. Go to the drunkards. Go to the self-righteous and the rich and the poor, the proud and the broken. The list does not exempt any name or type of person. Go. Go to your neighbors. Go to your friends, your classmates, your coworkers, whoever they may be, wherever they may be. Go and bring them the message That Jesus saves and there is fullness in him. And go being full yourself with the fullness of life that's been given to you. To be his tool to gather all of his people at the foot of the cross where they belong. Because it is harvest time. Right now it is harvest time. And the Lord of the harvest is working to gather still others to himself you know, when, when we planted this church, I admit here, I have failed and I have done miserably at, at accomplishing this goal. But someday, maybe we'll get it right by the grace of God. But when I planted Maricopa Springs, when Leanne and I planted it, you know, our heart's desire was to have a church where people reach lost people. The people reach lost People. I think that there are plenty of churches where it's simple to go to somebody and say, come with me to church. I just learned about a church that does a friends and family day. Okay, what's the point? To give an easy invitation to friends and family to come to my church, right? That's a great thing. But your coworkers, they probably don't live in Maricopa. They're not going to commute down here from Mesa and Tempe and Gilbert, unless they're crazy. (laughs) but you can lead them to Jesus even if you can't lead them to Maricopa Springs. How amazing would it be to have a church where the pastor does not do the evangelism, but the people lead lost people to Jesus? That's what you're here for. That's what I long for as a church. And I'm not saying that you're doing a bad job at that. Please hear me. Our church has grown, and that's because of you guys. You guys and what God is doing in your lives. But what would it look like for us to go out into the world with a handful of bread and say, you look hungry, eat this, eat this. And how deep the mystery of God and his relationship to us in these two things. God does not need us, but he uses us. And we were outcasts, but God chooses us. We dare not let these truths simply slide over us. Though we don't belong to the nation of Israel, he has invited us into his house of prayer. Though we were outcasts, he loves us still. Though we were enemies, he sought us out. Though we were dying in our sins, he has gathered us in his grace. And though we have no charm with which to carry forth the message of Christ crucified and resurrected for the sins of the world... God will carry out this mission through us. He has invited us to be partakers in the harvest. And he's told us to go and gather in more besides those who are already gathered to him. Two simple yet appropriate application questions that I've put in your bulletin for you. What can I do for my Lord who has gathered me an outcast? What can I do for my Lord who has gathered me an outcast? How can I serve God who has served me by redeeming me from my sins? And two, what can I do to find these others? What more can I do to be a partner in the gathering of his harvest? I leave you with those questions and let me pray. God, we praise you that you are the God who gathers the outcasts of Israel and yet is gathering others to your son Jesus. That though it went first to Israel, we were never neglected from that picture. That you always intended before the world was formed to seek us out and to save us from our sins. And we praise you for that. We praise you for that. We praise you that you are the God who is gathering your people. And God, we pray that you would gather a great harvest now in this season. Do it quickly, Lord, please, we pray. Use our church, use our lives, use our words, use our examples, use our knowledge of the scriptures to save the people in this world who are perishing, who are hungry and searching for some bread. God, would you use us to bring the bread of life to them? And we thank you for gathering us. We thank you that we get to be a part of this harvest. In Jesus' name, amen.